Fletch on the Arms Room Show with Glenn. And Drew. And Bravo. Thanks to all of our patrons for supporting the show and supporting the community service efforts that we do with what we make from Patreon. So if you guys are supporting us, you're not just keeping the show going, but you're also helping us to do things like stop the bleed programs and security training for schools and churches and local civic organizations. And we do them not just here where we live, but also all around Arizona and all around the country when we travel to do other programs. So we really appreciate your guys' support. Remember, if you're a patron and you have an idea for a show, it's where we get literally 80% or more of the show ideas, including today's show. From our patrons, you guys send us ideas and go, hey, we want to hear about this. And if we get enough requests or we get a request that sounds like something we haven't talked about in a while or something we want to talk about, then we go ahead and do it. So it's, it's really easy to do. So make sure that if you're a patron, you're getting the benefit of that patronage. Oh, man. What else have we got here? Uh, we're going to fire it right off. Oh, actually, no, no, no. Before we do Combatters Corner with Dave, I, I have this annoyance I have to get off my chest about training. So we do a lot of, you know, corporate level training uh, in in the medical world, as most of you guys know. And my number one annoyance with it isn't even like people's inconsistencies. It's not people's, you know, lack of, of, uh, you know, commitment. It's none of that. It's when I'm, when I'm talking to, you know, the, the head shed and they're like, oh yeah, these people don't need very good training. They're just office, office people. They don't need very good training. They don't need really a lot of training. They just need a couple hours because they, you know, they just work in the office. And that mentality overall completely goes against the whole motherfucking reason that we got into training in the first place. The whole reason that we wanted to do this is so that everybody could get the training. Because if everybody has some basic trauma training, then everybody can respond to basic trauma emergencies. And that includes on the job as well as off the job. There's a massive benefit for your people to be able to do off-job medical response. So if, if you're in that position where you're like, oh, I don't need your training or that person doesn't even like so, – so the people out – and here's an even interesting – Concept to it. The people out in the field, the people out on the manufacturing floors, et cetera, are actually some of the best prepared people because they have all the safety protocols and they have all the PPE and they're, they're more used to those environments. To be honest, your office people are probably in the most danger because they don't have as much of a safety mindset. They aren't doing safe briefings or safety briefings every morning or every week. They're just not doing that. So your office people probably need it more than anybody else. And, and to... To dismiss somebody, you don't know where the fuck they're going to go next in your company. What if they leave that office and go out into the field? Oh, we'll get it to them then. Well, it's too fucking late. The mentality when I hear that, it like really grinds on me. And most of the time, I'm not in a uh, political position where I can say anything about it. But man, if that is the one thing I could tell the companies, it'd be like everyone in your company needs this. Do some people need more? Yes, for sure. But does everyone need to have a baseline of trauma knowledge? Yes, 100%. Anyway. Well, it's like I only carry my gun when I go to bad places. Yeah, or, Same or mentality. I don't. It, it's, it's more of like <clears throat> I don't need a gun because I live in a safe neighborhood. Yeah. These people need guns because they don't live in safe neighborhoods. <laughs> These people don't need guns because they live in safe neighborhoods. And you're just like, dude, get there are the no safe neighborhoods, fuck out of here. <clears throat> Combatives Corner with Dave, go. All right, guys. This will be a shock to you, hmm. but train with your clothes on. 
wait a minute, I've been doing this wrong. Yes, you have. Continue. Got to put the Speedos away <laughs> when you go to Jits. Speedos, you're right. That's what I was wearing. <laughs> so here's what I mean. Uh, it's, it's important that at least some of your training happens in your normal everyday outfits, um, whether that's whatever it is, whether it's your work clothes, whether it's your business attire, uh, or knock around, whatever it is, you make sure that you have some opportunities to train in what you're going to be wearing every day, or most commonly, uh, your routine outfits, that kind of thing. That's important uh, for a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, you can even practice with dummy tools, you know, flashlights, you can practice with real flashlights and, and work that, but you know, dummy knives, that kind of stuff. But can you access it on your actual uh, wardrobe that you wear on a regular basis versus some uniform? that you might be wearing in a martial arts environment. So keep that in mind. It doesn't always have to be that way, but it is nice to spend some time training in your normal outfit. All right. Combatives Corner with Dave brought to you by Premier Martial Arts, Scottsdale Premier Martial Arts Peoria. All right. Well, we'll start off the news with this one. This is actually a couple weeks old, but we just kind of didn't get to it last time. Um, on August <coughs> 14th, this is actually like a month and a half old, Excuse me. <coughs> Andrew, Andrew, or I'm sorry, I fucked up his name completely. Andreas Pro Probes, Probs, maybe? A 64-year-old retired Bell, California police chief was struck by a 2016 Hyundai Elantra uh, and, and was killed. There's a video of this out there. I saw it on the, the social medias um, where these two young men that you cannot see, but you know exactly who they are, uh, literally run him down while he's just riding his bike. He's just riding his bike on the side of the road. And they've kind of been harassing some other people and talking a lot of shit and whatever, and and they uh, they just run this dude down, hit him with their car, and drive away. Uh, and they do it on purpose. They they openly say it. Of course, they've been you know arrested and charged with murder, and they video the whole thing, which fucking cracks me up. I don't know when people are going to go do horrible shit, they video it. But here's here's my takeaways from this situation, okay? First of all, fucking head on a swivel is a real thing. All right? Pay attention to what's going on around you at all times. I'm not saying this guy wasn't. I'm just saying it's a reminder. All right? That's thing number one. Thing number two, remember that when you're on a bike and you want to ride with cars, if they hit you, you're probably going to fucking die or have a serious life-altering injury. So act accordingly. Because if I bump another car, that's an insurance claim. If I bump someone on a bike, I'm probably going to fucking kill them. Accidentally or on purpose like these guys did, right? So be aware of those kinds of things. Make sure you wear your helmet, other safety equipment. Because you're interacting with incredibly large, heavy, fast-moving objects. Driven mostly by fucking retarded psychopaths. On so, their phones. Yeah, distracted, retarded psychopaths. Uh, so that's something to remember. Another thing to remember, there are evil motherfucking people out there. Just evil, no good people who should probably be hung immediately. No trials. We need to start skipping that kind of shit and get right to the punishment. Now, that's not going to happen anytime soon, so we can rant about it all we want, but it's not going to happen. So understand that evil exists. And if someone's doing something that looks like it's evil, it's probably evil. Act accordingly. Like Britney Spears dancing with knives. That was wild. <laughs> that was how the judge dismissed her from being uh, cuckoo pants. Yeah. yeah, she's fucking bananas. 
So the last thing to take away from this whole bike situation is stay now, in your bike lane. How about that? Yeah, well, and this guy, this guy was on the side of the road. Like, I mean, he was not in the roadway. No, you I'm know? just saying in general. Yeah, like yeah. Just, yeah. But again, my, that's my point of like when you're on a bike and you're around cars, fucking act accordingly. Remember yeah. that an accident with a with a vehicle, v, v vehicle versus versus bike, you lose. Vehicle, you're gonna fucking win, right? Mm-hmm. So the last thing is. And I don't know is that it would have saved this guy, but it's just another reminder of carry your fucking med kit. Like even when I'm biking, I still carry my med kit. I always have my med kit. It's either in my pocket, it's around my ankle, or I'll wrap it around the center post of my bike. Like I'm always going to take my med kit because I don't know what's going to happen. It might just be my kid falling off and getting a skinned knee and need a little bit of help. It might be getting hit by a fucking car and surviving the initial impact, right? Yeah. So all those things, I think, are takeaways from this. I've crashed my bike uh, with no other reason but myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <I'm> just <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, you never know. Car makers are failing the privacy test. Owners have little to no control over data collected. Most major car manufacturers admit they may be selling your personal information, though they're vague on the buyer's. And half say they would share it with the government or law enforcement without a court order. The proliferation of sensors and automobiles from telematics to fully digitized control control, excuse me, consoles has made them uh, data collection hubs. But drivers are given little or no, or no control over the personal data their vehicles collect. Researchers uh, from the for the nonprofit Mozilla Foundation said Wednesday in their latest privacy not included survey. Cars seem to have really flown into the privacy radar, and I'm hoping we can help remedy that because they are truly awful. Cars scored worst for privacy among more than a dozen product categories, including fitness trackers, reproductive health apps, smart speakers, and other connected home appliances. This is really important shit because we're all, like, freaked out about our Alexas, right, or whatever. I don't even – I won't even have one of those things in my one, home. Yeah. It's a fucking government spy device. It's bad enough I got a goddamn cell phone which fucking records everything I do. Right. I'm very selective now, especially about, you know, our home security systems and things like that. That's part of the reason we went with Vivint. Yep. All that being said, all those things are scaring us, and our cars scored worse than all of those things. <laughs> mm. Not one of the 25 car brands whose privacy notices were reviewed met the minimum privacy standards of this Mozilla uh, privacy group, which promotes open source public interest technologies and maintains a Firefox browser. By contrast, 37% of the mental health apps passed. 37% of mental health apps passed, and not one of 25 major car browns passed. Wow. They're not telling anyone what they're doing with the data, what they're collecting. But it's not good. Yeah. It's never going to be good. Well, it's like, I don't like, you know, I got the new truck now and I'll fire it up and it'll be like, hey, your, your software's updated. Well, who the fuck told you to do that? This is our truck, not yours. Yeah, like, well, <laughs> what, what, are you thinking? what do you mean? I just popped up on the screen. Your software's been updated. Here's the new changes. And it's like, when, uh, when the fuck I, did I approve that to happen? And what's <laughs> with the new thing? You know, and, and how do you even have connection to the internet? Oh, don't worry, we will shut your truck down if you if we want to. Yeah. Well, isn't that the new thing that if you don't make a payment, they shut your vehicle down? It's Ford that's what they're that trying did, to get. Well, Ford we, did that, right? So Ford Ford did a thing to turn your air conditioning off. That was their new proposed system. Was that if you were so far behind on payments, they would turn off your fucking air conditioning. Who wants to drive a car without, you know, heating, cooling, right? And so there's a number of 
vehicle manufacturers that are talking about doing that kind of stuff. Tesla's can literally, if you don't make your payments, they just drive them back to the fucking dealership. <laughs> they don't even have to repo shit. Fucking car just drives back to the dealership. <laughs> I mean, this is real shit, right? This is scary well, shit. Well, make your payments, man. Now, here, mean... here's the real... Here, with with a, a virile young man like David Bravo, this is important information for David to know. Your car wants to know about your sex life. Cars are increasingly filming, recording, and tracking drivers and passengers. Huh. Yeah, so it's not just going to see you beaten off feverishly in the back seat. It might also catch you in, in the, the front seat, too. In the front seat. <laughs> <laughs> Car manufacturers are collecting troves of data on drivers and passengers, some even tracking drivers' sexual activity. In a review of 25 car brands and 15 car companies published by Mozilla Foundation, so this is a different article, but they're, wow. they're referencing the Mozilla Foundation again. Researchers found that Japanese car manufacturer Nissan said it could sell information about drivers and passengers' sexual activity, intelligence, and health diagnosis to data brokers, law enforcement agencies, and other companies. German manufacturer Volkswagen said it could record drivers' voices to profile them for targeted ads. Wow. So think about it, right? This sounds like Liberty Safe. Everything, yeah, right? Everything works both ways. So when you plug your phone into your car and it can you can talk through it and I can go, hey Siri, call Drew and it calls Drew, right? Or I and can she starts talking sexy to you. And then and then it's and recording. It's that. all recording all of that. Wow. Everything works both ways. I'm just more worried about the car looking at us. <laughs> I'm more concerned about when I'm screaming at other drivers because I say some pretty horrible shit. And if it's recording that <laughs> I'm gonna be targeted for some ads for a mental institution. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the things I say to people probably shouldn't be said out loud. Right. But I'm like, I'm alone in my car. I can say what I want. Anger, Wrong. All right. Um, Europeans are, in principle, more protected against abuse by their landmark privacy law, the General Data Protection Regulation. Um, but the, uh, they say it's poorly enforced with car companies. It's not just about selling cars to make money anymore. It's about collecting data and then using that data to collect money. Researchers found that 84% of the car brands reviewed could share and sell data to other companies like data brokers. So. Privacy is a commodity. So here's, of course, um, (sighs) Privacy Mike sent us that one, and he had some good comments on it. So here's Privacy Mike's comments on that. Modern cars have telemetry devices that track everything about your driving. GPS tracks everywhere you go, how often you stay, and patterns of life. The car tracks how fast you drive, how often you brake, and how close you get to other cars. There are video cameras and microphones in the cars facing outside and inside at the driver and passengers. The collected data is transmitted over cell phone data. Cars have cell phone modems built in and their own SIM cards to connect to towers, which is how my truck is updating up by itself. Unplugging stuff from the car may not be effective. The fuse to disable GPS may also disable the HVAC system. They intentionally tie systems together to make it difficult to disable telemetry. Bluetooth can form mesh networks with other cars. So even if you disable the cell data signal, your car can send the data it's been collecting to a nearby car, and that car can transmit the data back to the car company. This all assumes you didn't take out a loan, because unless you paid for the car in full with cash, they're going to demand the GPS tracking stays active so they can easily repossess the car if you stop paying. Both car makers and the government want to add kill switches into cars so they can disable them remotely unless you, in case you stop paying your loan or kidnap a child or didn't get enough booster shots. It's a <laughs> giant disaster, and you probably need to buy cars made before 2010 to avoid this type of tracking unless you're an electrical engineer with a lot of free time. So, I mean, this is pretty scary shit. Like, to be, to be honest, you think about how much your car 
is potentially recording you, how, how in-depth the systems are, how difficult the systems are, how complex and complicated the systems are. I mean, go into your, just go into your onboard dash and try to fucking do anything. Try to change those settings. Try to find their privacy policies. Try to disable that shit. And what you'll find, if you can even find it, is it's so convoluted and it's in 18 different places, you know? It, then it disables your truck. So things, <laughs> things to think about, man, when you're in your vehicle. Like, this is your property and you have not approved this. You have not allowed this. And it is still fucking happening. There is no privacy. It's, there is no privacy. It's all for sale. Now, in the, in the vein of privacy being for sale, freedom being for sale, and other horrible things, Diane Feinstein, dead, finally, fucking 90 died. years old. How was she still a senator? She was the longest-serving senator. Oh, my Lord. An absolute fixture of California politics, which just tells you who she is. Now, here's the thing. Good riddance, because she is a horrible, horrible human being. Yep. Was a horrible human being. Her decisions and policies and dumb fuckery will unfortunately outlive her. And of course, in California, the question has to be asked, what snake will replace this snake? Well, it's Newsom who's going to appoint him, too. So you know it's going to be... Someone awful. An insane person. Maybe someone who's like 89. And that's assuming she actually died and didn't just uh, transcend to the next dimension so that she can be reborn into the body of someone like Taylor Swift in 20 years with the sacrifice of an appropriate number of children and goats. Yep. <sighs> evil, dude. Evil, evil shit. Good news for Dave. I was going to make that my good news, but then I actually found this good news. And this is <laughs> After a frantic four hours of search and rescue, a two-year-old toddler from Michigan was found sleeping in the woods with her two family dogs. Wow. Tay Chase was playing barefoot in the yard of her home in rural Michigan when her uncle instructed her to go inside and put some shoes on. Her mother said she had the instinct to go and check on her and the two dogs. It was a Rottweiler and an English Springer. It soon became terrifyingly clear that uh, Tay was no longer in the yard. After which the uncle and mom began to shout for. They searched the woods uh, for about, uh, I love that they said for about a quarter of an hour. Oh, you mean 15 minutes? <laughs> Calling the police and Chase's husband. When we get a call like that, everything else stops, Michigan State Police uh, Lieutenant said. In the rural area, the police put out a call for drones, canine teams, search and rescue personnel to comb the county. Eventually, around midnight, a family friend who was still out looking for Tay on ATV discovered one of the dogs, Springer, by the side of the trail. He reported that as he approached the dog, the dog started barking. The still shoeless two-year-old was located a short way from the trail, sleeping as soundly, as soundly, I love the way they write these. Books. As Snow White. As, no, 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 a wood, <laughs> a wood nymph. <laughs> sleeping as soundly as a wood nymph. Oh, my goodness. Her head atop Hartley, the Rottweiler's body. When the ATV driver tried to wake her up, Hartley informed the man with a not-so-polite growl that it was rude to wake sleeping wow. baby. She has those dogs wrapped around her fingers, said her mom. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So that's good news. Yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. You know, that these dogs just took care Body. of this kid. Yeah. And stayed with her. <laughs> I wish I had a dog like that. 
If I get lost, my dog is just, he's whatever situation I'm in, he's in a worse situation. <laughs> whatever it is, he's in a worse position than I am. Definitely not going to fucking save me. I don't know. If you swim in a lake, he will. No, he just comes out, checks on you, kicks you a little bit, and then nope. swims away. Uh, he kicked Gracie. He did not yeah. kick me. He, <laughs> he comes not... over and then he splashes me and puts his head on my <laughs> face and fucks with me while I'm swimming in the ocean. And then he swims away he as if he's helped. He me until I grabbed his collar and then he pulled me back to shore. Yeah, well, you're lighter than I am. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Independence training gear moment. Accessibility of med kits for all people at all times. This is a really important uh, issue that we we tend to see happen. People will get med kits and then they put their med kits in these weird fucking places. They don't really keep them accessible. They end up buried under something. They end up in a drawer no one knows about. They're not brightly colored. They're not, you know, uh, well labeled or well identified. And they may not be accessible to everyone in the house. What I mean by that is, like, if you have short people, right? And I don't mean short people like me. I mean short people like children, right? And so if you have little children, can they reach the med kit without a stool, without a chair or something like that? Do they know where it is? Is it brightly colored? And is it light enough for them to carry? Because building a 100-pound badass med kit isn't going to do you any good if you ask your kid to go get it because you're bleeding to death in the backyard and they have to, you know, push, pull, drag this thing out to the yard for you. So accessibility of kits is critical. Think about where you're putting your kits in your vehicle. Are they someplace accessible? Would they survive a high-impact vehicle accident? Would they survive a rollover, meaning are they going to be scattered to the four winds, or are you still going to have access to it? Is it going to be accessible from the driver's seat? If you were pinned in the driver's seat, seat belted in, hanging upside down in a ditch, would your med kit be accessible? Could you reach it? Could you access it? You know, we, recently we had a situation we posted up on our uh, independence training Instagram about an associate of ours who was getting in the shower. So, of course, he's naked, getting in the shower. Family is not home. He shuts the uh, shower door. It's got tempered glass on it, breaks, falls on him, and sh- uh, severs his uh, brachial artery. And as he is a, a pretty well-trained guy, he's got to go now get his tools. He's got to go get his tourniquet. And you think for a second, that's you right now. <coughs> Where, if you're in getting in the shower in your house, and some of you are like, dude, right with me, awesome. But some of you are like, fuck, it's downstairs, it's in the garage, it's in my bag, it's wherever, you know. His was close by at hand, in, in his bedroom. And he was able to move in there, recover a kit, self-apply the tourniquet, save his own life, bandage himself up. He did a great fucking job. He was able to do that. Yeah, he had all kinds of cool knowledge and experience, but what about access to tools? Access to tools is critically important. So, Independence Training Gear Moment brought to you by trainingaz.com. All right, our topic for this week, creating an ethos and finding purpose with your people. So, um, as usual, I'm sure, you know, we all have different ideas on what this is, so I'll, I'll start with this. I remember as a kid, especially a kid who, you know, went to church when I was a young man, the, uh, the idea of, like, how you were supposed to act was, like, well, would you do this with Jesus in the room, you know? Uh, yeah, that was, that's a good way when you're a kid, right? Would I steal this candy bar if Jesus was watching? You know, what would Jesus do was a, a common mm-hmm. thing, you know, when I was a young man. And, and, uh, and that was when I was a little kid, you know? A lot of it was, like, <laughs> would you 
do this. And, and there's there was a couple ideas behind that. One, there was this idea of like this higher power that was gonna you know, like strike you down or something, right? It's gonna <laughs> like you're gonna get in trouble forever, right? There was also <laughs> this idea of uh, mm-hmm. this person that you respected, right? The Jesus Christ, right? We hold him to a relatively high standard of performance and uh, and you know character and attitude and all that. And so we wouldn't want this, you know, and that's why we use someone like that as a figurehead until a, a kid or someone replaces that person with someone else. So, you know, my kids don't have that in their in their life as much. So for them, it's more like, hey, would you do this if we were, you know, if mom and I were in the room? Would, would, would you do this if we were here? Would you make this decision if we were watching? And as I got older, I made that natural shift from, uh, you know, what would Jesus do to... Would I do this if my mom were here? Now, at some point in time, we're all going to do things that we probably wouldn't fucking do if our mom was watching us, right? Uh, everything from uh, you know masturbating in the front seat, like Dave uh, mentioned, to uh, to you <laughs> to know doing jits in your speedos, doing jits, you know, naked or whatever. It's no big deal. Uh, it really reduces friction and. To whatever, right? To drinking too much or saying horrible shit about people or whatever the fuck the horrible shit you've done in your life. I'm sure you have a thousand examples. The point being is if you if you have somebody, anybody that you're holding yourself up against or that you're saying, hey, I don't want this person to be disappointed in me, that to me is the beginning of you creating some form of an ethos. And, and why would you even want to do this? So real quick, and I should have done this beforehand, but I'm actually looking at the uh, definition. The definition of an ethos is the characteristic spirit of a culture, era, or a community as manifested in its beliefs and aspirations, right? <laughs> so we're looking now at something that, that goes beyond just us, but what would my community want from me? And so now, like, my personal ethos is kind of, is this good for me? Is this good for my people? And it doesn't necessarily have to be in that order. But is this good for us as a society? Because if the answer is no, then I'm not interested. If it's for my family, is this good for us as a family? If the answer is no, then I'm not interested. You know, we're working on some discipline issues with one of our kids right now. And, and one of the you know, things we were talking to him recently was like, you, if you don't win, we don't win. If you lose, we lose. It's not like you get to lose and then we just go on our merry way. You're our person. You're our tribe. You're our family. You're our kid. If you lose, we lose. We lose alongside you. We may not feel all of the repercussions or all the consequences, but we lose too. We'll lose in a different way and we'll lose different things if you lose. And so, again, that's, the, that's that building point of an ethos. So we have a family ethos at home. It's up on a whiteboard upstairs. The kids can see it. And it's like really simple shit. But just a few things. And it can, you can keep your ethos relatively simple. Like, don't lie, don't steal. Don't hurt people. Help people at all times. That can be an ethos. Yeah, independence training has an ethos. Confidence. Self, yeah, don't rule. That's life rule number one. Don't be a dick. Independence <laughs> training's ethos is confidence, self reliance, and American spirit. Like, if it doesn't, we look at that from an aspect of when we're creating training programs, if it doesn't improve confidence, if it doesn't increase self reliance, and if it doesn't ignite American spirit, we don't fucking do it as a company. 
So there's all kinds of opportunities and training courses and everything we've turned down or stopped doing because they just didn't really fulfill that ethos. So that's what we ask. Does this increase people's confidence? Does this increase people's self-reliance? Does this ignite American spirit? If it doesn't do those things, we're not fucking interested. We're not going to do check-the-box shit. We're not going to do... That's why we don't do shitty, stupid fucking two-hour CCW classes. It doesn't do any of that shit. <clears throat> that's a fucking money grab. It's an ego feed for the instructor. That's all that dumb fucking shit is. I wish I could get rid of it, but I can't. I wish I could get rid of CCWs, to be honest. But So when you're looking at finding purpose and using your ethos to find purpose, the first thing, in my opinion, you have to look at is who are you holding yourself up against? Like who to you is the most important person that you need approval and val? And if you're some stupid fucking idiot lone wolf who says, I don't need approval or validation from anyone, shut the fuck up with that shit. Go fucking tell that to your cool guys down at the bar. Try to impress someone else. That's fucking horse shit. Everybody, every single person on the fucking planet is looking at validation or approval from somebody. I'm not saying if, like, if you don't get it, you're going to go put a gun in your mouth. I'm just saying like this is something that you're seeking. And maybe it is God, and that's okay. And maybe it is your father, or maybe it is your brother, or maybe it is your friend, or maybe it is your spouse, or maybe it's your kids. I don't care who it is. But everybody is seeking it from somebody. So I have to figure that out first. I was given advice years ago. It was probably one of the best pieces of advice I've ever been given by a friend of mine on this badass freaking multi-day backpacking trip, and we're cruising along the top of uh, one of the ridges in Yosemite overlooking the whole freaking valley. And he's like, we were talking about, you know, self-talk and what we say to ourselves. And he said, you should never say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to someone that you greatly respect. And I was like, man, that's okay. And then that led us into a talk about ethos. Okay, so then who do we greatly respect? Because then we had to talk about that. Okay, well, if we greatly respect these people, why do we greatly respect them? Do we want to be like them? Do we hold ourselves up against them? And that's how that ethos starts. What are we trying to create here? What do I want to do? Right? If you're holding yourself up against George Washington, that's also okay. I don't give a fuck who you're holding yourself up against, but who, who or what, what kind of life or what type of person do you want? Because if you don't know the answer to that, you cannot have a fucking ethos. It does not work. If you don't know what you're striving for, you can't just be like, well, I want to be happy. Okay, what's that mean? What's happy? And that's why, to me, that's why most people are depressed, sad, unhappy. Because they lack any kind of purpose. They don't know what they're doing. They don't live with purpose. And they don't, they can't find that purpose because they don't even know what they fucking want. It's why I believe most men, when you, know, you read all over online about how men are so sad and men aren't listened to. And, and to an extent, I do agree with that. We've talked about it on the show before. But to an extent, that's also a self-perpetuating problem because now you get a bunch of guys sitting around talking about how no one fucking listens to them while men are sitting around listening to them. Nobody loves me while they're hanging out with a whole bunch of people who love them. Like, dude, cut the fucking shit. You know, like th that's a self-perpetuating issue. Find purpose in life. Your problem is you work a shitty ass fucking nine to five that you hate. You don't like who your, sing your significant other is. You probably drink too much or smoke too much weed. You probably don't work out enough. You probably don't go outside enough. You probably don't pursue your own hobbies and interests. You don't have purpose. 
You probably don't build or create anything outside of what your job is if you even do that there. And thus, you have no purpose. And if you have no purpose, you cannot create an ethos because you have you are going nowhere. So how can you have an ethos if you're going nowhere? So to me, creating an ethos starts with figuring out who or what I'm putting myself up against, comparing myself to wanting to seek validation or approval from. Ultimately, what do I want out of life? And what is my purpose? What am I trying to accomplish? What do you think, Dave? I, yeah, I think that's all fantastic. I think from to take it a step back from that, I th- it's <clears throat> to find a purpose or an ethos. I mean, you know, we all get to a, a point in our lives, hopefully, where we ask that all important question. That question of like, why am I here? What is this all about? This can't be random. This is what is really going on here. And and to take it to its logical end, what point is any of this ethos, purpose, morality, if in the end there's nothing after this, that I just die and cease to exist? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, then then I there is no point. Go have fun and, and live your life like a lot of people do completely immoral and without regard for anyone else because nothing matters. But if you don't want to live that way, then you think you have to ask yourself that question and say, okay, well, what's next? And as a kind of a sense of a personal testimony, I did that 20 years ago. And I spent six months researching this because it was an it was the most important question I asked myself that I was really willing to actually dig into. <clears throat> most people ask themselves this question and then they get distracted, they're on to the next thing, and they never actually answer the question. So I went on a six-month research project to look at every single belief system that existed. Mm. I looked at everything. I looked at some of even the like the craziest, you know, Scientology stuff. I looked at every religion. I looked at every belief system, even atheism. I looked at it all and came to my own conclusion based on the evidence that I saw um, to choose what I now believe. And so because of that, now my ethos and my purpose are directly in line to something bigger than another human being. While I do seek out the approval of other people, it's very compartmentalized. For example, we just had a rifle course um, this last weekend, and one of the things that I made sure I did after the course was over was go thank one of our other instructors, Josh, um, because whatever performance I had in that class that was good was because of Josh and Glenn and the years I've been training in this this realm and finally starting to see some of that stuff really pay off and um, seeing – real results, you know, that kind of thing. And so I wanted to make sure that they knew that I recognized where this all came from and how much I appreciated them and, uh, and hope that I was reflecting well on them. So that's a compartment of my life that's important. Now, do I look at Josh in other realms of my life and look for his approval? No, but that's not what Josh is in my life. He's 
the precision rifle guy mm. and all the and a lot of those things that we do here at Independence. But the point is I have people in my life that I do se- seek out. What I'm cautious about, though, is seeking out the wrong kind of ethos because a couple things can happen. That person can let me down. That person, I can find out something about that person that they're not such the great person I thought they were. Mm. And that's more common than we think because I may hold someone in some high level of esteem and they're just another dude like me. And we all make mistakes. We all screw up. We all are broken. We're sinners, all that kind of stuff. And and it's going to happen. And so I want to be careful with regard to where I put someone in my life. Mm. So ultimately, that person that I know I I will never be disappointed in is Jesus. And so, and, and the cool thing is that he wrote a book. And it's called? <laughs> the book of Jesus? <laughs> no, 101 ways to live. No, it's obviously, yeah, the Bible. And, and that tells he me. He didn't write the Bible. Well, he, it was divinely inspired. Okay. There's a clarification there, Dave. Yes. <laughs> and so my point here is that it tells me in there all of the things that we're talking about today. It tells me what my ethos should be. It tells me what my purpose is. And the beauty in this is that each of us is built with very specific gifts and talents. And I think part of our youth is to describe and discover what those things are and build them into skills that we can then serve other people with. And Glenn and I, maybe even on the air, we've had this conversation before about we both believe that what we're doing is what we were built to do. And when that happens, you really do feel that sense of, okay, this is what I'm using. Because here's what what I I believe is going to happen. When I die, I will stand before God and I will be judged. Not on my bad things that I did, not on my sin or that kind of thing. I will be judged on what I did with what he gave me. Mm with the opportunities he gave me, with the skills, the personality, the attributes, all of that stuff, what did you do with that? Did you glorify me? Did you help your fellow man? Did you empower other people? I don't know what he's going to ask, but the point is I I don't want to stand in front of him and say, I squandered it all. I didn't do anything with it. And so my ethos is built around living my life in such a manner that by the end of it, I'm completely spent and I've used all of the tools, the opportunities, the gifts, the talents, the skills that I have to live out the purpose that I was built for. And it's very clear to me because I can read it. It's in the book. Now, you know, you can say, well, I don't believe in any of that. And that's fine, but ask yourself what you do believe in. And whatever that is, is it legit or did you just make it up? Mm-hmm. Did some other human being, broken dude like the rest of us, just write a book and now that's what you believe in or made a statement and that's what you believe in or has some cool phrases that they said and now that's what I believe in? Or are you just making this all up on your own? I, 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 I'm nowhere near smart enough to figure out my, lo- my own life, let alone the universe. Which I also think is kind of funny on a side note when people say, well, the universe spoke to me or the universe, I put it out in the universe. And I'm like, okay, so you understand the universe is just like rock and gas <laughs> and empty space, right? So I don't know where you think all that stuff's going and, and that all of a sudden this is going to work to help you. 
Um, it's all matter, people. So just a side note there. Anyway, <clears throat> so I guess for me, it, I think it only, it, this is so important because if I build an ethos and a purpose on something that's fake or something that isn't real or something I just made up, well, then what's the ultimate goal? What's the point? Because here's the other thing to keep in mind. You have people that are looking to you. You have people that look to you and say, I, I want to be like Glenn, not me, because I don't train in my Speedos, but <clears throat> not true. <laughs> I've seen pictures. <laughs> but my point is, whoever that person is, right? we have families, we have kids, we have communities that look to us in a certain manner, and are we living up to what we, we can be for them? And so I guess from my standpoint, what I really wanted to get across in this particular topic was, man, do some soul searching, do some research, do some investigating and find out what's true and then lock into that and make your ethos about that. And, and I think that's when it's all laid out for you, it makes it kind of simple. It's like, okay, now I get it. This is what, this is my mission in life is, is this, this is what I was built for. I wish I was built for certain things. I wish I was built for the NFL. I wish I was built for Major League Baseball. I wish I was built for whatever these things are. But I, I was, wasn't built for those. Or otherwise, I'd be doing those things. Or whatever else, right? I was built to be a billionaire or whatever. I don't know. The point is, I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be using the gifts that I believe I've been given uh, and trying to maximize those. Drew, what do you think about building ethos? I I don't know. I think it's for me it's what I do. It's so when I grew up I was very much, you know, what would Jesus do was huge back then. Everybody had bracelets, t-shirts. I mean, man, they couldn't have marketed that any better. So, I had a lot of, you know, is this good for the soul type of thing when I was growing up. Um and then I kind of changed it as I got older and had kids. It's more or less for me what I believe is, am I doing the right things that my kids would be proud of me doing today? You know, if, if they grow up and they share stories of, of who we were as, you know, parents and grandparents, and are we going to leave a legacy that our children and our grandchildren would be proud of? Kind of like how, you know, you're very proud of your grandfather, Glenn. So I kind of look at things from that aspect. And so that kind of what pushes me and drives me to kind of create this ethos of being what I want to be and, you know, having my kids be proud of me. And uh, so I hold myself, I hold myself to a higher standard. And then, you know, in that vein, I bleed it on to the kids like I am sometimes pretty hard on them when, you know, they fuck up. Because I, I expect them to be holding their own selves to a higher standard to want to be better than what they currently are. And, and whether that's helping somebody else or helping themselves or helping, you know, one of their, their siblings out because they want to, not because they have to. So, I don't know, I just kind of look at it from that kind of perspective. Look at the, the root of the word ethos. It's, it's Greek basically, basically for the word character. Yeah. And then there's logos, pathos, and keros. And keros, yep. yeah. And so, <clears throat> when you look at what, like, what that really means, because people use the term ethos in a lot of different ways. Yeah. 
wrongly often. Yeah, and, and a lot of times, like uh, I remember when I was writing a lot. Um, I, I've got a lot of uh, a lot of writing time under my belt and, and publishing stuff and whatever. And and when I was writing a lot, and I would do you know different writers workshops with people, and, and we'd have little writers groups for different organizations I was writing with and and uh, magazines and stuff. And a lot of times they talk about ethos, you know, and they're like, what's the ethos? Like, what, what's the, the message that you're trying to deliver? And I'm like, I, I understand that how you're using that is technically correct, <laughs> but but I don't I don't think you're using it in, in the way that I would want to use it. And so for me, it's more of like the character, character is, I look at character as two main different things, right? If I'm judging someone's character, here's the way I look at them. I don't know what they do when no one else is around. So oftentimes people say character is based on what you do when no one's around. Well, how the fuck is anybody supposed to know that? You know, And trust me, you don't really want to know what I do when no one else is around because it involves the front seat of a truck, right? That, no, and, like, and, <laughs> and uh, speedos. And speedos, right? So yeah, you don't want to know what I'm up to, all right? Um, yeah, when no one's looking, you want to know what I do? I run through the woods naked. That's what I do. You have no and fucking clue sleep with Rottweilers. what I'm up to. Yeah, you don't have no clue what I'm doing. Fight otters. Yeah, I was fucking kill otters. You don't fight an otter by the grace of God. You'll die. Or not die. That's the case, maybe. Because they run, they run in gangs. They do actually run in gangs. Yeah, that's no shit. They, fight. they have gang fights, straight up fucking Michael Jackson style. So, so character, yeah, I think it's well defined by that. But here's more of how I, I look at character. I judge people by how they treat those who have no use to them. Now, here's what I mean by that. Um, and I, I, I almost always start with wait staff. Like Drew can absolutely confirm, I do not allow my children especially to treat any service industry poorly. They will be severely reprimanded in public in front of fucking strangers Right. If they... Like he will make them do 50 push-ups. Yeah, right we'll fucking smoke someone in the aisle of a freaking... Uh, <laughs> um, movie theater, you know, if they try to leave their trash behind. I mean, these people are not our slaves. Pick your shit up. Put your card away. Yeah, put your card away. Like, treat wait staff. Look, first of all, these people control your food, the timeliness, <laughs> and the quality of it. All right? So if you want to fuck with someone, it shouldn't be them. Yeah. You know? But also, it's like these these individuals that are doing a service job are not your servants. No. I don't care how much money they make or what they're doing, what their job is. For all I fucking know, they make more money than I have no fucking clue how much money they make. And so I'm never going to talk down to somebody unless they deserve it. That's But that's in any fucking, I'll talk, I'll down talk to a fucking billionaire. I don't give a shit. You don't treat me well. You're going to get fucking talked down to. But someone who is, you know, serving me in a way through a service, not serving me as a servant, but serving me through a service. Like they're picking up my trash can or they're bringing me food or something. The, the ta those tables can be so easily fucking reversed. So to me, I look at that. Like I went out with someone years ago in the industry. Um, it was actually at SHOT Show that I thought was a, a really cool guy. And, uh, and I really liked what he was putting out into the industry. And a whole bunch of us went to dinner. And I watched how he treated the wait staff. And I was not impressed. And that really cut my idea of what his character is down. 
Now, the second way that I look at character is what about this person's character am I trying to look at? Dave mentioned be careful about holding yourself up to someone too much because then you might find out, oh, man, they what if they lied about something or what if they cheated on their spouse or what if they stole money or, you know, what? oh, my God. It's like, oh, oh, so people aren't allowed to make mistakes. Refer back to the Jesus comment, right? Like, yeah. I, I think it's like yeah. he like had his whole thing he did where like, everyone's <laughs> supposed to be able to make some fucking mistakes, you know? And so big deal if people make mistakes. But if I put too much into someone and then I find it to make mistakes, it may really fuck with my ideology. It may really fuck with like, oh my God, who am I? Now, now it's fucking with my personal ethos because I'm like, mm-hmm. well, who am I? If I want to be like them – and they, I don't know, stole money from someone in a business deal or something. Am I like that? Is that who I really want to be? Yeah, that's still who you want to be. You just don't want to be that part of them. The ideal of what they represented, yeah. And so I'll give you guys a real-world example because I always use personal examples. I find they're the best examples. When I was going through my divorce, I had kind of two groups of people in my life at the time. I had (coughs) these great citizens of America who owned businesses and uh, were well-to-do and and they were all married with kids and they had families and they went to church every Sunday and et cetera, et cetera. That was one kind of group of friends. And then I have this other group of friends who I lovingly call my heathens, all right? And the heathens are all of, you know, the guys that work with us and our veterans I was hanging out with and guys I'm hunting with and stuff, guys who were like smoking, drinking, fucking tender chicks you know, wild savages, all right? Now, I'm, I'm not saying any of that's bad. I'm just saying that's, that's what they were doing. And in this two, group of peop- this two groups of people, there's me kind of in the middle. And I look at the character of the people in group number one, and it's a very good character, right? These are all people. They don't smoke. They don't drink. They don't gallivant around on the weekends. They, you know, they uphold the integrity values of marriage and et cetera, et cetera, right? And I look at the quote-unquote character of group number two, the heathens, and they are fucking savages. You know what I mean? They're, they're savages. And then I looked at when everything really started, who backed me up? Spoiler alert, it wasn't anyone in fucking group number one because my character and my ideals had shifted. I wanted a divorce and they no longer wanted to be associated with that. Now my savages are fucking savages. They didn't give a shit because the part of my character that they loved was not the fact that I was married. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. And the part of their character that I loved wasn't the fact that they did drugs or drank too much or were banging random chicks. I don't like any of those. I don't really condone a lot of the shit that they were doing. But the part of the character that they had that I loved, the judgment of how is how they treated other people and how they treated me and their loyalties and how they truly loved each other, they truly loved themselves, and because they truly loved themselves, they could love each other, and they could love me. And these other motherfuckers, 
I, when I really took a chance, a look to, at their character, what I found was the only part of their character that I actually liked was that they were like me. They were married with kids and that they believed in a higher power or whatever. And that seemed noble. But as soon as someone comes into their world that doesn't believe in that, boom, they're out. And I started paying attention to how they treated other people. And I realized, and understand I'm generalizing two groups of people here because there was a little bit of crossover from both of those groups. But how they treated other people was good only if they were of use to them. And here I've had this metric that I've used for almost my entire adult life of I kind of look at people's character as how you treat people who have no use to you. And I did not like the way that people from group number one were treating people. I really liked the way that group number two were treating people even if I didn't like their own individual fucking daily habits. So my point being is that to kind of support and tie into what Dave was saying, be careful about – if I looked at any of those guys from the savages and said, oh, my God, I, I yeah, I can't live like you guys, right? So I can't be around you. Your character is too low. And I went to the people from group number one and said, look how high, quote unquote, your character is because you have all these great ideas. And then when I, you know, got divorced and left, the people from group number one turned me away. That would have shattered my ethos. It would have shattered my, my idea of the people that I wanted to have in my life. I'm glad I had examples from both sides of the fence. And again, there was some crossover between those two. I'm painting both groups as a big broad stroke here. My point being is it's really easy to pretend to have character. It's easy to pretend to have ethos, to have purpose, to even, as you know, and I have discussed at length, Dave, to, to be a Christian. It's easy to pretend that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a conversation Drew and I have on a regular freaking basis about people who pretend to be good Christians. Oh, I, but I donated to this thing and I go to church every Sunday and it's like, yeah, we still a fucking piece of shit. You know what I mean? Like God doesn't lock the door on pieces of shit, unfortunately. All right. And then you have the other people who you might look at and go, wow, those people kind of don't seem to have anything going on in their life, but they have this deep seated care about people. Or they have this deep seated love for themselves, which allows them to love other people. And I'm not saying that in either one of those groups, you can't have pieces of shit and good people. I'm just saying that in my life, in this one experience, which is a very anecdotal example of what mm -hmm. I'm talking about, yeah. that in that experience, what I thought was good character turned out to actually not really be. But because I hadn't attached myself wholly to any of those people, I wasn't, see, I wasn't like, I want to be like that guy specifically, then when things change and I needed to kind of shift a little bit on, on what my ethos was, it, it wasn't some life altering experience because I hadn't fully attached myself to someone. So I think that you can have someone that you're respecting, someone that you're holding yourself up against and, and we're trying to, you know, get some validation or some approval from, and you may not love everything that they do, mm -hmm. but there's still somebody that you look up to because of these other reasons. Like you said with Josh, like, yeah, I hold Josh to high regards for my shooting, but maybe not anything else in your life. Because he's not needed for that. He's just right. needed so for the he's shooting. He's a bad guy. He's a great guy. It's just yeah. that we don't hang out 
to be part mm-hmm. of other parts of our lives. And, and even and if, so, let's just say he was a freaking total turd, right? Right. But he was really fucking good at teaching about shooting. You're going to pay for that, saying that on the air. Right? Yeah. He doesn't listen to the show. Yeah, <laughs> Joshua knows how I feel about him. <laughs> well, and you know, the, the <clears throat> that's one of the things if you, again, if, if you happen to be a Christian, you've read the Bible, what's really cool is that the two groups you described are almost like the Pharisees and the peasants. Right. And he spent most of his time with <laughs> Look peasants. at Jesus' disciples, man. Those are some rough boys. Yeah. I mean, he <laughs> spent time with the sinners, and he would make the statement that, well, they're already righteous, like sarcastically saying, right. like, they already— and, and They don't need me. They're yeah. already perfect. Yeah. Yep. And so one of the things I have definitely—I I, I recognize in myself, and I have since I became a Christian, is— that I am only good because of. And so he, to, to kind of hit that point that you just made, th- I've, I, I can't tell you how many times I've put someone in a position that I was disappointed, a li- whether a little bit or a lot, mm-hmm. based on as I got to know them, where I had put them was just not in the right place, and that's on me. <clears throat> what I love about my life is that there is one person who, who doesn't disappoint. And that's why I, I always have that. So no matter what goes on in my life, whatever trials, whatever people fail or, or succeed or whatever, I never get too high, never get too low because my rock and my foundation is Jesus, who is perfect. And if I believe everything that's written is, is everything that I would ever want. Mm. And so, and also has built an eternity for me so that I can then look and say, okay, well, that's what I'm working for. That's why I'm doing all of this stuff now is not only because I want to be that person and and kind of the thing that's happened to me because of this has been, I've changed. I would, I don't want to think about who I would be today if that didn't happen 20 years ago. I, I do believe I wouldn't be near the person I am and I'm not saying I'm great. I'm simply saying, I knew who I was then, mm. and I'm not that dude anymore. And a lot's changed about that. So, uh, and I give all that credit where it's where it's due. So, for me, that's that's my one stability in my life. It's the one foundation that never shifts, that never changes, and that I can always, no matter what happens in my like, if everybody in my life abandoned me, if everybody's like you're just whatever, I know I still have that foundation, and that's all I really need. Although, I'm glad I don't have that I have all the other people in my life, right? That really does matter and um, is super important to me. So, And it also helps me not judge people as harshly, <clears throat> although I still sometimes can find myself doing that. Um, there was a time in my life where I would judge a situation or a person or whatever, step back from that, and I would just act or react. Now I step back from that and I give it some time, and it's been really interesting to see how those initial judgments or reactions were not quite right or completely wrong. And I'm really grateful that I've just let things simmer for a while and watch what happens. Um, so anyway, again, back to the point of, of ethos and purpose. It's just having that person who's guiding me. It's like, I'm, you know, having that internal voice all the time. And so I actually have to kind of take this a different direction, a question for for you and for Drew, because you both kind of talked about this idea of having <clears throat> the kids, 
you know, be proud of you and you're proud of your grandparents and so mm-hmm. forth. But where does that <clears throat> take us? Because I don't know my great grandfather. Mm-hmm. I don't know anything about him and I never will. So at some point, this is all going to fade away to nothing, right? Well, all that we're doing here is going to matter to no one. Mm-hmm. So, so where is it that takes us to, okay, I'm going to pass this on to my kids and then they'll pass it on their kids. But what's the ultimate point of it all? Well, I think that there's there's kind of two things there. Uh, that, that's I mean that's kind of a loaded question, but I think that there's two things. Yeah, I know there. we have the five first, minutes. Yeah, the first, <laughs> yeah. So in the next three minutes, here's my answer. Uh, it's basically like the first part of it is because not everyone can have something like here. So here's the reality. Uh, actually, let me start over. Let me start this over. My grandfather died uh, as an alcoholic. Um, he died of pneumonia <clears throat> that was complicated by alcoholism. Mm. Um, he died relatively broke um, after watching his next oldest brother completely squander the family business and uh, drive it into the ground, essentially. Uh, our famed heritage and legacy done, <laughs> um, <clears throat> you know, and, and he died, you know, on a cabin just outside a, a lake at the base of the Tetons. Hmm. Um he, you know, left behind two broken marriages and, you know, a, a lot of kids that were disappointed in him. Yeah. That's not the part of my f- grandfather's character that I love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so it's yeah. important to recognize that even when you do know your family members, you know. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, right, my dad was unstoppable. My dad was everything I wanted to be. The older I got, the less I wanted to be like certain parts of my father. Yeah. And even today, I, I speak very highly of my dad on the show and in person and in classes. Anyone who's ever yep. met me knows how highly I speak of my father. There's definitely parts of my father I do not want to fucking be. I have to actively every day work against being certain parts of him. Yep. And as I watch him get older, there's even more things that I see that I'm like, that's even more of a character trait that I don't want to develop. That's not the part of my father's character that I'm holding myself up against. Yeah. Even if I didn't know my dad, if I didn't know my grandfather, if I didn't know my great-grandfather, right? If I didn't know any of those people, if I didn't have that great heritage or whatever, that's where I believe figureheads like religious characters, whether it's Jesus or whoever, that's where local mentors, maybe it was your boxing coach growing up or boy scout leader or a teacher in high school or whatever. That's where those kinds of mentors can step in. Yep. And I've been in that role when I did tons of work with youth through the boy scouts and youth camps and uh, various different religious organizations <clears throat> where I would go and participate where, you know, young men without dads or without good dads, some of them without dads at all. Some of them just kind of lazy dads, some with, uh, with dads who just didn't want to do things I wanted to do. One of the greatest things that ever happened with any of my kids, and I'll use my oldest as an example because he's older. My younger ones are still kind of young to develop this, but was when my oldest son found mentorship through other grown men and not just me because I'm flawed in a lot of fucking ways. And he was able to find mentors that weren't flawed like me. They were flawed in other ways, Mm -hmm. but in my flaws, they didn't have those. So then he was able to attach to those positive parts of them that weren't me 
And then he was able to find mentorship from them. They were able to go, yeah, man, check this out and take him on, uh, you know, camping trips to the Boy Scouts or, you know, his baseball coaches, his, his, you know, choir leaders, people that he'd had the opportunity to work with throughout his life. Yeah. I think that's fucking awesome. I want that. I want in my, for me, for my kids, for my family, I want them to have as many mentors as fucking possible. I want them to look up against a lot of different character references. I want them to look up a lot as they're building their own ethos and saying, who do I want to be? What do I want to be like? What do I want to accomplish in life? You know, I know a lot of parents who was like, oh, what do you need from mom, your dad? And it's like, shut the fuck up, you fucking small dick, smooth brain moron. Like, <laughs> you don't, you, oh, oh, you're all that is man. Oh, you're a perfect fucking example of a father and a husband. No, you're fucking not. We're all flawed and fucked up people. We're imperfect people raised by imperfect people who were raised by imperfect people. Yep. All just trying to get through this imperfect world. So there's other people who are not going to have the flaws that I'm going to have. I want my kids to look to them and say, this is awesome. And one of the greatest things about, you know, bringing Drew into my life and, and her getting to be a mom to the kids is now my kids get to see an entirely different way of what a mom looks like. I love it. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. You know, otherwise they're going to have one point of reference. Yeah, not a very good I mean, point. It really of fucking sucks. It's a really fucking shitty point of reference. <laughs> yeah. So, well, so my point being is that I, I that's where I think it kind of matters. Is it doesn't really matter whether or not you have this great heritage of people or not. Like even if you do, to my example, they're not perfect people. Right. And even more so, even if you don't have that, you don't know anybody, right? You're like orphaned. I was adopted. I don't know who my family is. Whatever. You still can go out and find mentors, even if that mentorship, even if that figurehead turns out to be a religious figurehead let's just say yeah well and you know i'm i'm a i believe that and i think you've experienced this as well that part of this life lived ideally is where whatever god jesus wants to do in the world mm. you can participate in that and you can be a youth leader at an eagle scout or a, a cub scout or boy scout situation and you can be that person that speaks to that, you know, whether it's, you can even, I, I mean, I, God uses non-believers to work mm. out what he wants to work out. So there's always those opportunities. I, that's what I look for when I look at what I, what gets me excited about all that we do is those opportunities that come up, like, you know, we're, uh, the, the, what I posted on the alumni group about creating a group of men to get together, because what I've experienced um, as a man in this time in my life, and and even through independence, there's a lot of people who are suffering, a lot of men who are suffering, and they don't struggling, and they don't have a place or other men that they really. Not that I can't find a man to talk to, but do you get me? Like, because I'm this kind of man. I'm not mm -hmm. this kind of man over here. I'm this kind of man. And are there other like-minded men who? can come alongside me and help me in these areas because we're more like-minded. And just opportunities like that, I think, present themselves. I guess my, my bigger scope of that question was more along the lines of what's the end result of all of this? Is it because we believe there's something after this and we're working towards that? Or is it, because uh, otherwise, I guess for me, it just, it doesn't really matter. None of this matters if there's not that. If <clears throat> I just cease to exist and I've passed on these things of this to, to these, the next generation, but then, then what? Okay, I'm gone. I'll be forgotten in a generation or two, maybe sooner. And then it's like, so what was the point of my life then? 
there's no end end kind of result. So that's why I um, I'm a big believer in. And it's not just I have to believe in this because I have to believe in something. It's mm-hmm. because I did my research as well. So that's kind of what I was getting at in, in regards to is there that bigger reason why we do this? You know, because we all believe in morality, but where does that come from? Well, again, and, I think that I, that goes right back to the character thing of is, is what <laughs> – I mean, look, man. There's people in the world who don't believe what we believe, and there's people of other, eth- you know, ethnic beliefs or cultural beliefs or religious beliefs or whatever that believe that entirely different things than what we think is good and right and true is good and right and true. And they're going to fight for what they believe is what good and right <coughs> and true, and their idea of what morality is or what they're, you know, what kind of thing they're holding themselves up against is going to be entirely different than ours. There's entire mm-hmm. cultures that believe stuff that that is we would believe to be morally wrong that they 100 percent wholeheartedly believe is morally right. And right. so it, it's really difficult to say um, that there's any one right way or one wrong way or whatever. But for me, what I'm trying to accomplish is to take those best possible character traits and and pass them down, right? right? So I want the best possible character traits for my great-grandfather and my grandfather and my father and me to go to my kids, I want the best possible character traits of Drew and her parents and her grandparents to come down the line to our kids. That's what I want. I want the best possible traits. Right. I'm simply asking to what end? To the end. I think it's I, – I mean it passes down from generation to generation. You can weed out the poor character traits in, in a line of people. Yeah. Or are you but trying to ask like, what are you trying to accomplish? Right. Well, but to what end? We're like, So we just create more generations that are – our moral yeah. compass. And, and that, uh, ultimately, to yeah. what? To what end? That's my point. Yeah. That's why Jesus <clears throat> is so important to me is because there is something after this. Right, right. That's and what I mean. That's the until, ultimate. That's until the, the end. And so at the end, whatever that the end is for you or your belief system or whatever, right. at that point when we're all judge or exalted or whatever it may be, yeah. now we can look at it and say, did you do the best possible thing that you could do with what you were given did you try to lead your family in righteousness and truth and morality? Yeah. Whatever that fucking definition is, right? Did you try to do that? Or did you just sit back on your laurels and say, I'm just going to fucking cash it in, do my nine to five, come home, drink a beer, kick it back, die one day, pay bills, die, do my thing. Right. And then when you're standing there, it's like, yeah, it's it's always going to be works and not just faith that are going to get people where they want to go. And that's my point with this whole topic is you got to have something that you're, you're headed towards to really define that ethos and that purpose. You have to have that true purpose about what you're trying to accomplish. What do you want to do? And I'll be honest. If your purpose is making money, you're a fucking idiot. You've missed the whole goddamn point of fucking everything. <laughs> You've literally missed the – If every morning you get, I just got to fucking make more money, man. If you think that's the purpose, first of all, what the fuck is money, all right? And second of all, like, yeah, we all have to make it, but not all the time. Like, think that there's a hundred, you know, civilizations out there that don't even – Live on a dollar a day. They, 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 like, it, it just – it blows my mind when, when I ask people, like, what's your purpose? Oh, I got to grow my business. That's your purpose, just to grow your business. For what end do you want to grow your business? Till it hits a million dollars, till it hits a hundred million dollars, when will it be enough? Yeah. 
you know, we were just talking about, you know, Mick Jagger, right, beforehand, and how he was saying, <laughs> you know, you, you don't need $500 million to live, so my kids aren't really getting anything. We we're talking about Shaq, you know, and yeah. Shaquille O'Neal. I don't even know how much that dude's worth. And he's like, my kids don't get my money because I'm the only fucking work for it. Let them build their own purpose. Let them build their own life. Yeah, I'm not going to let them starve or anything, and they live a good life while they're living with me. But once they go on on their own, it's not like, here you go, kid. Here's a million-dollar home and, you know, a $100,000 car to get you started. It's like, Man, no. what a poison that would be. You're going to do this on your own. My favorite part, kind of slight shift here, but one of my favorite parts of being a dad is watching our oldest son, now having had moved out, go through the struggles that he's going through successfully. He's managing his struggles. He's managing the problems. He's finding solutions. Why is he able to do that? Because of what we taught him. Yeah. Because of the ethos we gave him. Because of the purpose that we gave him. Yeah. You know, as he looks at what he wants to do for a career or whatever, money is not really a decision that settles in for him. Yes, he needs to make money to pay his bills. He knows how much he needs to make in order to pay all of his bills. But that's not his primary goal. We sit around and talk and have these great conversations about whether or not he's happy, whether or not he feels purpose, whether or not he's driven to do this. He's had jobs where he made more money, but he doesn't really have any purpose there. He doesn't feel the vibe, Yeah, you know? And it's like it, it's really cool how you'll circle around something, and if you just keep working, and I, I, I'm thinking of a very specific example with him right now, but as you just keep working at something and trying to find purpose and trying to create, you know, this ethos, how the it will find you, you know. And recently, it found him again, and, and he's so excited for this new opportunity he's stepping into. But he had to go through some stupid fucking shit to get to that point. But he successfully navigated the stupid shit because he had ethos, because he had purpose. He's come out the other side and he's like, oh, I've arrived ironically kind of back at where he started. But he's like, I've arrived almost kind of back at where I've started, but I'm a better version of myself than I was before. So I'm more prepared to take advantage properly of this opportunity to use it to its full potential because I've learned all these other things along the way. And when I was talking to him about it, I'm like, yeah, you realize that you're kind of going to have to start over at this company that you left, you know, uh, and you've had all these other jobs since then. And I kind of fucking told you not to leave in the beginning because, and he goes, yeah, dad, but I'll tell you what, I wouldn't take it back. Because who I am, thanks to those other experiences, is a better version than who I was having stayed there in the first place. I wouldn't have learned these other really important lessons. I wouldn't have had to have such a hard time, and I don't think that, that really would have helped me out that much. Yeah, That is purpose. That, to me, that's part of it, right? Yeah. That, that ethos that he has of what he's trying to accomplish and where he wants to go and what he wants to do. And, it's only, and he's young. I mean, I didn't have at, – at his age, I did not have the ethos I have now. Mm-mm. So I mean, I, it would have been nice yeah, if I close. did, but I was yeah. not mature enough. I was no. not didn't have a life experience to have that uh, at that age, and it's been something mm-hmm. that's I think it's a lifelong process of it constantly um, becoming in, uh, something different, yeah. you know. Um, and that's the same. I you mentioned something about having important mentors in your kids' lives and not being all the end all be all. I my son was uh, I kept. I don't want to say bugging him, but I, every once in a while I'd bring up, hey, you know, you haven't been baptized. Is that something you're interested in? Like, yeah, whatever, you know, whatever. Um, and he finally got baptized, but it had nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. It had to do with his church group. It had mm-hmm. to do with the, the leaders within his 
you know, his young adult group that he <clears throat> still goes to. And it was those people who got him in the pool. And which I, when I was there and, and, and experiencing all that, I didn't care that it wasn't me. I cared that it was, that it was done, that it mm. was, that somebody was speaking into his life maybe better than I was. And so I'm definitely with you on that as far as, you know, when they find either life experiences or mentors or whatever that, because um, I don't care how my son grows. I just care that he grows. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be me. And through the lessons that, you know, we teach them, is that the three of us sitting here being parents, the lessons that we teach our kids are the lessons they're going to go out to find the right mentors. Because right. if we don't teach them what to look for in mentors, if we don't recognize our own faults, I mean, <laughs> growing up, I mean, man, my oldest son spent so much freaking time with me. And, you know, we'd, we'd have pretty good, deep conversations when he was, you know, 11 or 12 years old about my flaws. Yeah. You know, once he started realizing I had flaws, because there's a point up to his life where I'm God, right? right? Yeah. And then he sees me make mistakes. And then he's like, wait, I thought you didn't make mistakes. And it's like, well, now's your, <laughs> now's your old enough to understand some things, boy. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about your old man. <laughs> so uh, it's important that then you can have those kind of conversations with people around you about your ethos. Because that's how you're going to build your purpose stronger, and you're also going to help them build greater purpose. You know, I would say Drew and I have an ethos for our marriage. Yeah. And we have a very specific thing in mind that we are trying to accomplish. And for us, it's the, the end result is we win. There's no compromise because compromise means both of you are giving something up, and then no one really wins. So that's not our goal. Our goal isn't, well, let's compromise. Our goal is let's both win, right? And so what's good for her is good for our marriage. What's good for me is good for our marriage. And if it's good or good for each other, I should say, and if it's good for each other, then it's good for our marriage. And then if it's good for our marriage, we fucking win. Like that's kind of our general ethos and things. So when mm-hmm. we're making decisions for our marriage or for our you know relationship or whatever, we're looking at it from that perspective. Are we going to, you know, are we going to win here? Is this, does this end in a win for us? And that's really important when you look at that because that ethos has developed. I mean, we've been together for, you know, five years and our ethos has certainly changed in that time. Yeah, as you get to know each other better, get mm-hmm. to adjust to each other's good and bad behaviors and, you know, just living with a person. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like from going from dating to living with each other to being engaged to being married with, you know, the kids and the business and everything else that's been added into our life. Your ethos is going to adjust a little bit. It's going to change. And there was a time early on when we were, you know, battling exes and everything else. <laughs> so fucking ethos would just like survive, you know what yeah, I mean? Right? It's like we just get home every night and be like just – Hold on to each other real tight so that the wind doesn't rip us apart. You know what I mean? It's like the fucking flurry of bullshit that's coming in constantly. Like it was just like we're surviving, right? I love you. You know what I mean? It was just like that was a period of time. And then as things adjust, I mean my ethos, like you said, man, as as I've grown as an adult even, not just from a child to a man, but as an adult, my ethos develops. My ethos have changed in the last handful of years about how I see myself and what I see myself doing. You know, where my priorities lie has changed. So if you were to maybe put some some meat on the bone a little bit here, if you had to, like you said you have on the whiteboard at home, you have things written down. Mm-hmm. Um, I have I have certain ethos that I 
I constantly repeat to myself <clears throat> and so forth. I can do everything like you do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're going to do something like how I was raised, right? Mm-hmm. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right and worth doing well. And, um, you know, above all, you know, be honest mm-hmm. or, or whatever. So what are some of those ones that you would share just to get, if you want to get people started on this idea of ethos? I, I would say to, to start with that the the most, and I'll kind of wrap up my con- my ideas with this because we're definitely over time, but um, I would say this, keep it simple. Remember that you're going to forget and make mistakes. So it's okay if you fuck some shit up, but Keep your ethos simple, a very short list of things that you ultimately and truly believe in. Write it down, not just where it can be seen, but where you are going to read it. So uh, I'll answer your question, but just as as another example, like our company ethos is literally four words, you know? On our shirts and... Five words, I guess. (laughs) But yeah, it's confidence, self-reliance, American spirit. Like, that's it, man. And you'll see it. It's on the websites and our Instagram posts, on our shirts. Like you're going to see that's our ethos, but it's very fucking simple. It's a very, it's three basic sayings or, or mm-hmm. concepts, right? And that's it. You know, mine and Drew's uh, right now, our ethos that we've kind of developed in right now is don't four, kill each other. Four simple phrases. <laughs> yeah. The ultimate goal of which don't kill each other. Yeah. So, but the, the four simple phrases that we have is like, is it good for me? Mm-hmm. Is it good for you? Then it's good for each other which means it's good for the marriage, which means we win, right? That's simple. That's really, really simple shit, you yeah. know? So our ethos is very, very simple. It's We don't need to write an ethos that's like this big, long list. Now, at home, I will say, like, in, in mine and Drew's room, we have this whiteboard that's right by the door, and we leave it open. Like, it's right by the door so that if you're in our home and the door opens up, you can literally see our fucking whiteboard. And our whiteboard in the room, we can leave messages to each other or whatever we might need to do. We record other things on there, things that we're trying to remember to do or whatever. And on there are our rules for love. Rules for love are different Don't than drive my truck. Ethos, yeah. yeah. Rule number one. <laughs> you're not allowed to drive the truck anymore. All right? Unless I'm absolutely exhausted and we have to keep going. All right? Other than that, you're banned. All right? All right so. <laughs> but... But we have the five rules for love, but the five rules for love are more of like general things for us to remember as we continue, like if we're getting frustrated with the other person or we're just trying to like get a little pick me up, like, oh yeah, these are the ways that we love each other, right? Like these things are important yeah. for our, those are rules. That's not our, our overall ethos mm-hmm. because our rules are much easier to change than the ethos. You know, like for example, it's easy to change one of them to, you know, you're not allowed to drive my truck, for example. Right? Like it's, it's easy to just. So since you crashed the Forerunner, you're not allowed to drive the Forerunner anymore. I didn't crash the Forerunner. Uh, you ran it into a pole. A pole ran into me. There's a very big fucking difference. <laughs> I hit right? a rock. I didn't, you hit a pole. I didn't put that pole there. I didn't put the rock there. <laughs> okay, Valerie. <laughs> All right. So rules can can kind of change based on circumstances right but like the ethos is this thing that yes it, while we've said it can change it tends to stay a, focused around the same concepts you're just kind of basically molding it so for me like more of a personal ethos like things you know that that i follow um i would say like you know to your uh, example of you know don't uh what do you say do everything like you do anything, anything right yeah. so for me like a very personal ethos for me is See a need, fill a need. I am that guy. Yeah. That if there's a dirty dish in the sink, I clean it. Right. If there is, I don't, I don't fucking care. Put it there. 
Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. This is my home and these are my people. I'll clean the fucking dishes. If the toilet paper is running out, I will put new toilet paper up. Yeah. If I see garbage on the floor, I will pick it up. Right? If I'm hiking through the forest and I find a, someone left their shitty trash behind, I will pick it up. Right? Given the opportunity that I can pack it out effectively, I will take that with me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I am the – that's like a huge thing for me is see a need, fill a need. It's part of the reason I do training. Yeah. It's there's a need. I'm filling that need. If one day that need no longer exists, I will find something else to do. But as long as it exists, I will remain doing it. See a need, fill a need. So for me, that's a really important part of my ethos. Um, <clears throat> you know, another part of my ethos uh, that I find very important, and it has specifically to do with with uh, Drew and my kids, is uh, you know just I, I don't want to disappoint my family. That's a huge part of my ethos. I don't want to disappoint them. You know, I'm okay with getting upset. I'm okay with making them cry or making them sad or disciplining my kids or getting in a fight with you. Those are all natural parts of, you know, yeah. relationships and, and being a dad, being a husband. But I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to let them down. Yeah. So I will do just about fucking anything to make sure that that does. Other people, I don't really fucking care about so much. But my family wow, don't bro. want wow. to disappoint them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so like those are yeah. just two examples of, yep. you know, my own personal ethos um, that uh, that I definitely don't don't really change, right. you know. Uh, and I think that the, the list can be relatively simple. I have like two more points on my personal ethos and that's it. I, that's it. It's just yeah. there's, there's just three or four simple – in this case, four simple things that I follow. Yep. It's easy to do. It's really fucking easy to do. And uh, as long as you do those things, you write them down somewhere. So Share them. Be accountable. Share them with your family. Share them with your people. Share your ethos. Talk about your ethos. I mean, that's why, like, I started when, you know, Garrett was old enough, our oldest son was old yeah. enough to talk about it. It was like I started talking with him about it. Hey, man, what do you want to do in life? What's your ethos? What do you think? He would come to me. Someone did this. Well, how do you feel about that? Do you think that's right? Do you think that's wrong? Well, what do you think, Dad? I'm going to fucking tell you. Put it up against your belief system. What do you think? Is that right? Is that wrong? How does that feel? To you, not to me. I have my own problems. I'm going to put that through a filter you can't even possibly fucking comprehend. So put it through your filter. How's that look? How's that feel? And then he starts building his own ethos until he gets to the point now where he's 20 years old and he's got his whole other idea and ideals. Well, you know, I think there's an important part of this too that we should say out loud and that is that when you create an ethos or you modify your ethos or whatever, it's going to cost you something. Oh, yeah. There's a cost involved, and sometimes those costs are huge, depending on where you know where your ethos takes you, and you got to be willing to pay that price, because I think your ethos is that is that important. Your purpose in life is that important. Your <clears throat> mission here on this planet is that important. That yeah, you're gonna have. And I, I'd say this because there's been times in my life when I wasn't willing to make the sacrifice, and I should have. Until I matured enough, and then I was like, "Now, okay, I'll make that sacrifice. I see why I need to do that now, and um, take that next step." And it's one of my other ethos is one one of the pieces of mine is this. You know, I know it's yours as well. Um, I won't be outworked. Mm-hmm. I, I I've recognized in my life that I walked into situations where I wasn't the most talented or the gifted mm-hmm. in that particular area, but I knew if I just worked, I could get to where I wanted to get to. And that's always been the case. It's just I'm willing to do more work than maybe someone else is. And I know that's that's you. Yeah. So actually, I mean, if you want to get personal, the other two parts of my ethos are um, 
always do the most. Yeah. You know, no matter what, always do the most. <clears throat> that doesn't mean drink the most. It just means do That's the not most. true, David. I said always <laughs> do the most. I will not be outdrank by fucking anybody. All right? Someone challenges me to something. There, there was is a, no doubt in that. There was one of our there was one of our friends who's like our beer chugging champion on our uh, on our racing team, and I've never gone up against him ever. And uh, we were sitting around one night at one of the running events, and he was all like, hey, "You know, Glenn, I've, I've never actually seen you like chug a beer, you know." And I was like, "You don't want to, you know." And he was just like, "And he was like, come this on, man, how, path you how fast down. can you do it?" And I'm like, "This isn't this is you don't challenge me to shit." Dude. It's like. <laughs> You know, the problem is I'll try, and if I, if I lose, you have to kill you. You know what I mean? So it's right. like, because yeah. I will eliminate <laughs> Yeah, I will be the best. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, how fast <laughs> do you think I drank that whole fucking beer? It was a second and a half. I mean, if it was anything, you know what I mean? It was just like, just boom, like, like uh, just fucking open your mouth, tip your head back, the beer goes all the way down Everybody the throat. Everybody was in shock. And it was like, the fuck just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, don't ask me to do that a whole bunch, but <laughs> every now and then I can pull that so, little trick out. So always do the most. <laughs> yeah. And? Um, shit, my mind just went blank. Um, <laughs> shit, what exactly I was gonna, how I was going to say that. Um, kill everybody? No, <laughs> not, not kill everybody. <laughs> yet, yeah, not yet. Um, <laughs> fuck, I even have it written down, and I'm trying to remember what the Like, I hate when that fucking happens to be my train. Uh, just, my train just absolutely fucking sorry, derailed. I put you on the spot. No, that's fine. I was like, it was on the tip of my tongue, and then I just fucking derailed. Um, <clears throat> anyways, I'll think of it uh, while we're wrapping things up here. But, uh, but anyways, uh, anything to add to this, Drew, as we wrap things up here? No, I have nothing else. Okay. Dave, anything, other, other points you want to make? Uh, I've said plenty. You said, you have. <laughs> you said a lot today. It's been nice. You have said uh, a, lot of, a lot of good stuff today. Um, <clears throat> so let me scroll back up on my paper here. Uh, oh, it's Fitness Moment with Drew. Oh, yes. Let me pull my notes up. And... <clears throat> okay, so um, we kind of touched base a lot last week's episode, but I wanted to go over today is the importance of stretching. Uh, and the reason why stretching is so good, doing it every single day is super healthy, keeps your body pretty limber, but it also helps prevent injuries. So if you're constantly stretching, stretching out those legs, stretching out the back, the arms, everything else, depending on what your workout routine is, um, you're, you're going to get less injured because you have more mobility in your body. As well, if you are injured, like I have a broken ankle, and I'm still stretching every single day, and I throw in on top of my stretching, you know, little things that I can do, but stretching really, having this boot on and then not having another boot on the other opposite leg, I can tell my hips are out of place, and it's really lighting up my um, my hip flexor. So I've been stretching constantly every day, and it's helping kind of keep everything loose, so it's really important to stretch. Uh, stretch before, you know, stretch every day. I always say stretch every morning. Uh, and then before you work out, stretch. And then after you work out, definitely stretch and make sure that you're staying pretty loose. So that's what I have. All right. Fitness Moment with Drew brought to you by MRC Phoenix. Weekly runs Monday nights at Chupacabra. Uh, man, we have, what, four of our students that are now pretty re- running pretty regular with us? Yeah. I think our Ragnar team this year, we've got two instructors – well, including Drew and I, four instructors and three students and then one of the runners from the from the club. So that's mm-hmm. awesome to see. Uh, and then Wednesday night runs up at Dad's uh, Eatery in Scottsdale. 
at uh, yeah, I think we you know we typically have a couple of students who come out there as well. So a lot of fun. You know, if you guys want to get into running or just kind of see what's going on, uh, you can come out and get into walking, jogging, running, biking, skating, whatever you want to do. There you go. All right, uh, and my other point: don't quit more than once a year. Oh yes. Oh okay. Yep. There so, you go. Just don't quit more than once a year. <clears throat> so if you think if I'm thinking about quitting and I have to think about when the last time I quit was, then it's time to keep fucking going. Yeah, I like that. So don't quit more than once a year. And uh, anyone who's ever seen me quit anything, which is pretty fucking uncommon, it takes a tremendous amount of effort <laughs> to make me want to quit. <laughs> it doesn't fucking happen, really. Uh, so, anyways. Uh, remember, you can bring us out to train with you. Get hosting information via email, info at trainingaz.com. Email us. We'll, we'll come out and teach you uh, whatever it is you and your group want to know. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook as The Arms Room Show, Independence Training, MRC Phoenix, Premier Martial Arts Scottsdale, and Premier Martial Arts Peoria. We're proud members of the Heroes Media Group. Be sure to check out the other cool things that our network is doing on the um, on the forefront of podcasts and publishing and media services and all kinds of cool stuff. Next week, we're going to be talking about medical tools for off-grid and the backcountry. We're actually going to do some uh, medical shows we've kind of drifted away from that we promised you guys more medical shows in 2023 so we're going to do two medical shows uh over the next couple of weeks and we're going to be doing another one uh, a few weeks after that so but next week is going to be specifically medical tools for off-grid and the backcountry until next time stay where stay safe and train hard you've been listening to the arms room